Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, justice, peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And boy, what a day. There's just so much that we're going to be talking about today. But I want to start out with our old buddy, Greg Palace, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his most recent, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Greg Palast, P-A-L-A-S-T dot com is his website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palast. And Greg, welcome back to the program. Uh, buenos dias. <laughs> buenos dias. So you personally knew Hugo Chavez and know President Maduro of Venezuela. Yes, and, and I should also say that I personally know um, most of the major opposition leaders as well. I spent the years covering Venezuela on the ground for BBC television and the Guardian newspapers. So you know Juan Guaido? No one knew him. 80% of Venezuelans never heard of this guy when he declared himself president, but he got the one vote that counts in Venezuela. Donald Trump endorsed him, said, you declare yourself president, I'll back you up. That's the leader of the so-called opposition. We've talked about that, you know, that here's a white guy trying to take over a nation of mestizos, which ain't going to happen uh, in the post Hugo Chavez, who is the Nelson Mandela of Venezuela, that ain't going to happen. So, two questions. The first is, sure. you know, is Venezuela going to be Donald Trump's re-election war? He's made it very clear over the years that he believes that one of the things that presidents do do and should do is have a war just before an election in order to guarantee that they get themselves re-elected. Uh, Richard Nixon did it. Ronald Reagan did it. George Herbert Walker Bush did it. George W. Bush did it. You know, and basically every Republican president in my lifetime, with the exception of Dwight Eisenhower, has done that. And in fact, I think Jimmy Carter is the only president not to have initiated any conflict during his four years in the White House. So and look what a, happened to him. Yeah, right, exactly. So A, is Venezuela going to be Trump's re-election war? And then B, where I want to also go with this, is how do you respond to the inevitable thousand, you know, 10,000 Twitter hits that say, particularly those that purport to be coming from Venezuela, that say, but people are starving. Maduro has mismanaged the government. There's actual hunger. It's a wreck down here. We need, uh, you know, somebody to come in and tell us how to make the trains run on time. Well, a couple things. I don't think that Donald Trump is going to invade Venezuela because the army 
and the people who are armed, everyone has a gun in Venezuela, will go to the beaches. It would be like Bay of Pigs times 10,000. And one thing about the wars, like Bush Sr. tried to reelect himself with, is we like wars where Americans don't even get their hair messed up, let alone die miserably in a foreign nation. I don't think that an invasion... Well, Grenada worked well for Reagan. Yeah, well, except that... And the Falklands worked well for Maggie Thatcher. I mean, she was kind of the role model for Reagan. Exactly. So you didn't have British troops, uh, almost none die in the Falklands. Uh, The Grenada War, that was of Ronald Reagan... Well, that was like the Club Med War. Invaded a a beach resort, and no Americans were hurt. Venezuela, a lot of Venezuelans, as Hugo Chavez told me, he says, I can't stand the idea of killing all these American children, but we would have to if they landed on our beaches. And he said, please, you know, I just pray that that doesn't happen. And I think that everyone... Hussein feels that Juan Guaido, the self-proclaimed president, Trump-proclaimed president, has called for American troops to come in. I mean, it's pure treason if you're a Venezuelan. And, you know, yes, are people starving there? Absolutely. By the way, one thing that I think that the President Maduro's government, where he has been untrustworthy, is that he keeps downplaying the unbelievable cost in food, medicine, suffering, of the Venezuelan people caused by the lockdown embargo that was created by Donald Trump. Remember all the, you know, there are estimates that maybe half a million Iraqis died in the embargo on Iraq, and they allowed Iraq to sell two million barrels of oil a day. Venezuela is not allowed to sell any oil. My reports from my people on the ground, they're telling me that they have like what they call bus cemeteries. The buses break down. There's no parts because they're brought in from abroad. They have a free subway system that was built by Chavez in Caracas that's virtually uh, inoperative now. Think that people are suffering, but it's because of the embargo. And look, if you embargoed Florida in the way we've embargoed Venezuela, Florida would be imploding right now. So it, it's, it's all the embargo. So I'm experiencing kind of a a major moment of dissonance here, Greg. Here in the United States, we had hearings with Bill Barr and all this stuff and, and, you know, the Mueller report. And basically the bottom line of it is that the United States is really seriously pissed off that a foreign government, in this case Russia, tried to mess with our elections by putting a couple hundred thousand dollars into Facebook ads and, you know, running a troll farm, stealing emails and releasing them by WikiLeaks and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's all well documented. And we're just all very, very upset about that. Like, you can't do that. You can't mess with a democracy. You can't mess with another country. And then we go to Venezuela and we insert ourselves into their election. After the election, we insert ourselves again. I mean, this is... More than insert. We literally have Donald Trump announcing to the Venezuelan people who their president is, and they've never even heard of the guy. Right. And, you know, we condemned Russia when they did this in Ukraine essentially. When Putin came out and said, well, wait a minute, there's a bunch of Russian-speaking people and Russian ancestry people who live in eastern Ukraine, and, and you know, we're going to help them out and defend them. And, and they were sponsoring, essentially, a candidate for president. Oh, there were several candidates for president. All that. And we condemned them all the way up to the United Nations. You know, we sanctioned them. We did all kinds of, you know, we're outraged about this. And yet we're doing this in Venezuela right now. I don't understand how any politician can complain about our involvement in Russia or Russia's involvement in our elections with a straight face if they're supporting our inserting ourselves into the Venezuelan elections. Well, you know, if there was really a dictatorship to overthrow, I'm not friends of dictators. 
And, you know, we have a dictatorship in China that we've cuddled up to. In Saudi Arabia, where they chop up journalists in little pieces, and I could name... They crucified a guy for Easter who was a dissident. Yes, Yes, that's right. In Saudi Arabia. um, And so we're told in Venezuela that the Maduro government is a dictatorship. They had an election. Guaido wouldn't run because he would lose. And, you know, I've been seeing nothing in the New York Times, CNN... The usual suspects, nothing but the demonstrations that support Juan Guaido, the pretender that Donald Trump's choice... Right, as you're talking, we're playing some of that drone footage that yes. you supplied and then us the, Okay, the, what you're seeing in the drone footage, the massive, massive demonstration, which you are going to see nowhere but on the Tom Hartman program, that's the pro-government demonstration. There are probably 50,000 people that demonstrated against the government. Okay. What you're seeing is about 200,000 demonstrating for the government. I see. And the guys demonstrating against the government were doing so in a place called Altamira, which is the equivalent of demonstrating in Beverly Hills, rich white people. Mm. And yet what you're seeing is a massive, massive, massive outpouring of people for the Maduro government. And I'm not saying Maduro is a wonderful guy and that uh, everything is fine. That's not true. But believe it or not, they don't want Donald Trump to tell them who their president will be, especially a guy that they've never heard of until Donald Trump said, hey, here's your president. And by the way, when we talk, say Donald Trump, as you know, Trump doesn't, wouldn't know Juan Guaido from a hole in the wall. It's John Bolton and Elliot Abrams. John Bolton is our NSA chief. And he's the guy who sold us the war in Iraq with WMDs. And guess who is backing him up? Our special envoy to Venezuela, Elliot Abrams. Who's the guy who was convicted of crimes involved with Iran-Contra, messing with Central American countries that took down Guatemala and Nicaragua. And I mean, this is why El Salvador, this is why we've got refugees on our southern border, because of Elliot Abrams' behavior that got him a criminal conviction that was pardoned by George Bush Sr. at the recommendation of Bill Barr, who was then the attorney general. Exactly. So what you have is convicted liars and neocon warmongers telling us that the Venezuelan people would really like us to invade them. Please don't buy this stuff. In fact, two days ago, the New York Times, CNN ran that there was a coup, that the military was turning against their government, and there's Juan Guaido in front of the big military base called La Carlota. In that military base, he said, as your commander-in-chief, I'm your commander-in-chief, it's like he might as well call himself Napoleon, he said, I order you out of your bases to take over the Venezuelan White House. And they all looked at him. No one went out there. There were a few soldiers, and I don't know if you have that clip. They're yabbering in Spanish. They're all excited, really upset, a bunch of young soldiers. A few soldiers were standing near Guaido. We interviewed, my people on the ground, William Camacaro, interviewed those soldiers who were supposedly Guaido supporters, and they were saying, no, we were tricked by one of their captains, because, you know, Guaido has some supporters. They were tricked by their captains who told that they were going out on a mission and to go stand out in front of the military base. And they ran away the minute that they found out just a photo op for Juan Guaido. And they're all, if you listen to these guys, I know you don't speak Spanish, or you may not, I think you speak Spanish, but most of your listeners won't. And you'll see a bunch of guys saying, my God, these guys are trying to start a civil war in our country. We don't want that. Right. These young guys are saying no. Amazing, amazing. Greg, we got to wrap it up, but Greg Pallas, the investigative uh, journalist, author, filmmaker, his most recent, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, gregpallas.com, Greg underscore Pallas on Twitter. Greg, thanks a lot for dropping by. You're very welcome. Always great talking with you, and and I, I really appreciate your insights and the great reporting you're doing.
Wow, what an extraordinary day. I wanted to share a couple things with you. First of all, about uh, economics. Over at AidenForecast.com, I get this daily newsletter, and, and he pointed out, he goes back to Hyman Minsky's work. Hyman Minsky was this absolutely brilliant economist who passed away in uh, 1996, as I recall. And he talked about the three stages of debt. His hypothesis was actually called the financial instability hypothesis. And he said that we go through three stages, the hedge, the speculative, and the Ponzi stage. And it, the hedge, the first stage, is you know after crisis, banks and borrowers are cautious. I'm quoting from Chuck Miller's uh, email here. Loans are made in modest amounts, amounts that the borrower is known to be able to repay in both the principal and the interest. Then as confidence grows, uh, we go into stage two. Banks begin to make loans in which the borrower can only afford to pay the interest. And the collateral on the loan is usually an asset that's rising in value. That would be like their home or something like that. And then when the memory of the past crisis is faded and forgotten, we go to stage three, the Ponzi stage. And at this point, banks make loans to firms and households that can afford to pay neither interest nor principal. But the whole idea is the collateral, you know, the, the underlying asset is going to continue to rise in value. And so... Uh, but then what happens typically, uh, or always, eventually, is the economy slows down a little bit, the asset stops increasing in value, and the person can't pay the interest or the, or the principal, and boom, you've got a crash. And uh, he is suggesting, Chuck Miller is suggesting, and I think he's right, that we are in the Ponzi stage right now, or we're at the very, very beginnings of the Ponzi stage. And, uh, you know, this is going to be very, very messy. So, you know, we'll see where this all goes, but this is what we're seeing. I also wanted to, to share with you about Afghanistan. This is really breathtaking. And I get these reports from the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. It's called SIGAR, S-I-G-A-R. This is their report. It just came out today. They do these quarterly. This is the 43rd quarterly report to Congress from SIGAR. Enemy-initiated attacks rose considerably. This is in Afghanistan. The monthly average attacks from November 2018 to January 2019 increased by 19%. Documented 10,993 civilian casualties last year in 2018, an overall increase of 5% to 2017. This is 10,900 innocent civilians killed last year in Afghanistan. That never would have happened had George Bush not lied us into the Afghanistan invasion. And his lie there was that this is the only way to take out al-Qaeda, when in fact Afghanistan was, a, was offering to arrest bin Laden and turn him over to a third-party country. The number of civilians killed increased by nearly 11%. It's the highest number recorded since UNAMA began recording civilian casualty data. George W. Bush opened the gates of hell with his lies. And now Afghanistan, Afghan civilians are paying the price. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. 
And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one own gold You're listening to Tom Hartman. Right now, Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents uh, the 2nd District of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of Representatives. His website is pocan.house.gov, P-O-C-A-N. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Great to have you with us. So uh, I'm curious your take or your thoughts on the state of the Mueller investigation and William Sapphire back in 92 referred to him as in The New York Times as cover-up General Barr because he had covered up Iran-Contra and Iraq Gate back in 92. What are your thoughts on all this? I think he's kept the nickname, and now we're going to have to use it again. You know, I think we all were surprised to find out that a letter had been written to him from Robert Mueller about how he characterized the report in that first summary. And then it appears he may have lied to Congress when he said he didn't know what Mr. Mueller thought about it. But, you know, you pointed this out a long time ago, Tom, about his history. I think you were one of the first people I'd heard talk about all that he did. And now we're seeing it all happen again. So, you know, for Donald Trump to, again, claim he's been exonerated by that report, which we all know, anyone who's read it knows that's not true. You know, now if he starts to make it harder for people to come to Congress and testify to get clarity about what's in the report, he is pushing us to something like impeachment proceedings. He's pushing us to be forced to get the information, and he's showing the American people that he lied to them about being exonerated because innocent people don't act like that. And I think Donald Trump will dig his own problems by doing this. Yeah. I'm curious your thought. I mean, you look at the Nixon impeachment. Article 1 was obstruction of justice. Article mm-hmm. 2 was abuse of power. Article 3 was contempt of Congress, you know, refusing to let people testify. Right. Article 4 was the Cambodia bombing, which was arguably a war crime. Not even arguably, it was a war crime. And Article 5 was failure to pay taxes, of all things. Yeah. I'm wondering your thoughts and what you think is the sense of your colleagues with regard to the possibility of impeachment in the U.S. House of Representatives, or whether one of the issues in one of the debates and the position I've been taking on this is that in the Clinton impeachment, as soon as the Starr report came in and all its pornographic glory, the Republicans said, okay, cool, we got the report, let's go, and they just voted for impeachment and threw it to the Senate. And the Senate, of course, didn't vote to impeach. In the case of Nixon, you had you know, an analysis that was happening, but you also had months, literally, of hearings in the Senate that were chaired by Sam Irvin that laid bare for the American people in a way that was absolutely irrefutable that this guy's a crook. And when the hearing started at the beginning of the process, um, I forget the month, but it was a two-month period, nine-week period. At the beginning of that process, only 19% of Americans thought Nixon should be impeached. By the beginning of the week in which he resigned, which was before there was a formal declaration that we're going to impeach this guy, there was 57% in public opinion. And that was the point at which Barry Goldwater went over to the White House and said, you know, buddy, you got to go. You know, I've been advocating there should be hearings to bring this stuff out. And if you call them impeachment hearings, you get some extra Article Three powers for the Article One branch for Congress, and you eliminate the president's ability to pardon because that pardon has one single exception, and that's except during times of impeachment. So it would kind of ring fence Trump. But 
Anyhow, those are my thoughts. I'm curious yours. Yeah, you know, and I just had a lot of town halls in the last couple of weeks when I was back home in six different counties in my district, and this conversation came up a lot. You know, I think this is more a parallel of the Nixon times than the Clinton times, because it's obvious we have to have Bob Mueller come before Congress, right? It's obvious from reading the report, Don McGahn, there's a conflict in what the president's saying right now and what's in the report, so Don McGahn is the only person who can provide that clarity, and some other witnesses that we're going to have to bring in. If the president finds a way to encourage people not to, and he obstructs us getting witnesses to come, and he claims he's innocent, and he even claims he hasn't had a chance to refute the charges that are in the report, we're giving him a chance. And if he doesn't do any of that, I think, you know, in places like Wisconsin and most of the country that don't live and breathe Washington politics, we live by a smell test. And it looks like you're lying by any smell test. If you claim you're innocent, but you won't let anyone appear before Congress to provide clarity, you look guilty. And if he does that, he may push us into impeachment proceedings in order to get more information. But I do think that crucial middle period is the period we're in right now, and I think that's the wisest way to proceed. Yeah, okay. We've got some calls on the line. Let's go for it. Steve in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Yes, Mr. Pocan. I was wondering, is there ever going to be a time where Mitch McConnell will be held responsible for trying to form a mutiny against Obama? Boy, I'll tell you, you know, Mitch McConnell, not that we should have expected much more, but he has been pathetically awful this session, especially given that he's up in 2020. Both he and Lindsey Graham, who Lindsey Graham at least at one point stood by his friend John McCain. Now, you know, he's, you know, sitting at the right hand of the president waiting to you know, get his belly rubbed. That behavior is what's really causing many of the problems. So we're going to knock a whole bunch of bills over to the Senate and we're going to put a lot of pressure on Mitch McConnell, but whether it responds to past things he's done or responds to the complete obstruction that he's going to do to everything we try to send over, it's going to be difficult unless the voters of his state decide to have a way to respond. So, you know, the best way people can across the country, if they don't like Mitch McConnell, get rid of Republican senators. And by doing that, you have a Democratic Senate, we have a Democratic president, hopefully in 2020, and a Democratic House. We can get a whole lot done that I think is really crucial. Lawrence in North Hollywood, California, listening on KPFK. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, how's it going? I had a question regarding Donald Trump's tax returns. This has obviously been an ongoing saga for a really long time. And I'm just wondering, like, it's kind of fallen out of the media. Obviously, there's bigger stories. But I'm just wondering, like, how is he getting away with this for so long? When are we going to see his tax returns? Yeah, well, first of all, Lawrence, I mean, the push first started in the last few months to get his tax returns because we weren't in charge of the last Congress. So it's not like it's been that long amount of time. And second, uh, not only did we put it in H.R. 1, a bill we passed out of the House, but we have actually are following the law, requesting the returns as per the current law, and he is trying to obstruct that. So we've got a date coming up on May, uh, I want to say it's 7th or 8th, I think, that he has to respond again. But we do have uh, other levers to try to get those returns. And I just talked to Richie Neal, the person who's the chair of the Ways and Means Committee, earlier this week about this, and they're going to continue to pursue it in every possible way. So, you know, it's really only been a couple months that they've been requested uh, because the last two years Paul Ryan uh, never stood up to the president, never did the proper role of Congress in oversight. So we're going to keep working at it. There's nothing that's diminished from that. Do you think Congressman Neal has the strongest shot at this because of the law that explicitly says that the, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee can request the, anybody, any citizen in the United States' tax returns? Yes, and he's making the request directly to the head of the IRS because that's what the law says. 
and yet the Secretary of the Treasury seems to be the one responding to him. And Lewis in Chicago, listening to WCPT, it says you disagree. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Congressman Pocan. As you stated, Congressman Pocan, part of your job is oversight. And I just want to know how you feel about how Hillary destroyed emails that were under subpoena and didn't give you the opportunity for that oversight. Congressman? Yeah, I, you know, all I can really say is uh, I do not believe that either Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster uh, have Hillary's emails. I mean, this is just, you know, the people who have uh, obsession around Hillary, including uh, apparently Lindsey Graham during questioning to the Attorney General. We had an investigation for two years around Hillary's emails, and there were no indictments. We had two years in the Mueller investigation, and, you know, 30-some people were indicted. I think we get the difference. Nathan, in Hood River, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, I got great news. Are you familiar with Mark Christian Miller's book, Fooled Again? I am not. Okay, so I think Tom's pretty familiar with it. Yeah, I know Mark. And, um, okay, so... It's, it's basically a book uh, about uh, voting machines. What's, what's your point, Nathan, uh, what's your question? The, the point is, if Democrats start making vote counting machines and start controlling them, I think wacky exit polls would start to align more with the will of the actual voting that is going on or the you know the fact that these exit polls are so different from the results when are we going to start taking this vote counting system that we have that is run by republicans all the machines are owned by republicans and all the results and all the mistakes seem to favor Republicans. When are Democrats going to start making their own vote counting machines and start counting the, their own votes so we don't have this continuous drift to the right? To paraphrase Joe Stalin, you know, it doesn't matter who makes who votes, it matters who counts the votes. Congressman. Right. Well, I can uh, tell you this, Nathan. In H.R. 1, we have a number of measures trying to address our voting system to make sure that we have more integrity. One, uh, it should be part of our national critical infrastructure to make sure you've got protections, not just around the uh, the commissions that run the elections, but the, the companies that make the voting machines, because they can be hacked, and the Russians, we know, tried to uh, hack into those companies uh, as part of their interference that uh, Jared Kushner referred to as a few Facebook ads. Uh, secondly, uh, my provision to make sure that we had uh, a paper ballot, uh, a paper trail on every single electronic voting machine so you can have a hand count verifiable recount uh, was also an H.R. 1. So there's a number of measures we have looking at that. Um, I, I do agree with you, though. I mean, I have some concerns when, um, you know, for a while, the Republicans last session were going to take away the commission that approved patches. So patches would go directly from the company to a local municipality doing it without anyone looking at it. And that would have been a terrible idea. And they did back off of that. But we need to make sure that people know that the elections are fair and, and honest. Otherwise, you're not going to have the participation. So uh, I hear what you're saying, Nathan. I appreciate you calling from Hood River. Nick in Madison, Wisconsin, another great town. You're on the air with Congress and Pocan. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, quick question. So what happens when your boy Trumpy pleads the fifth? What does that mean for us little people? What does that mean? Could you explain it? And yeah, hasn't Nick, he effectively already done that, Congressman? I mean, by refusing to talk to Mueller? Well, exactly. When you look at that part where he gave the written answers, I mean, I think he said, I don't know, or I don't remember 30 times. He outright ignored questions. I mean, that's my only real complaint of the report is I wish they would have compelled him to somehow come, and I would have been okay if that would have delayed the report. I think it was important enough. 
all the more reason why he claims he's innocent. He should let people come before us. In fact, I think if he wants to come, I would welcome him to come. Of course, we know that won't happen. So, uh, Nick, I think we've got plenty of tools by bringing other folks in. Uh, and if he tries to stop them from coming, again, as you know from Wisconsin, that doesn't pass a smell test. It's not going to work for him. So I do think we've got lots of recourse, and we have recourse for people who won't come that we can do from contempt of Congress to find other things, legal actions. We're going to work this very, very aggressively and very hard. Pat in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, I have a kind of a specific question. If the House Judiciary Committee started the articles of impeachment, would that give the committee more power to get people to testify and to get documents handed over instead of just subpoenaing people and documents? Could you be specific about the ways in which the articles of impeachment expand that power of the House Judiciary Committee? Sure, Pat. It would ease the process, but I would argue, again, I think like we just mentioned with in the era with Nixon, I, I think credibly trying to bring witnesses out now, and if Donald Trump blocks them or tries to block them from coming, it does not look like an innocent man. And we clearly know, anyone who's read the report knows he's not an innocent man. I think that's really needed to gain the public opinion we need to have to when we get to the point of getting some of this additional information, and we're actually trying to pull a trigger to get a stronger action to happen, that public opinion during this period is going to be crucial. So I don't know if immediately going into impeachment serves the same purpose as trying to get the witnesses and seeing how Donald Trump handles this. Because again, an innocent person shouldn't be trying to stop people from testifying to Congress. We live in amazing times, don't we, Congressman? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Congressman Mark Pocan on the line with us taking your calls. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, as in representative, R-E-P, Mark Pocan. Does your current office chair support you? I mean, if you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down, but can you sit in it for hours before it becomes uncomfortable? You know, I, I broke my back skydiving back when I was 20 years old, and finding a good chair has been a lifelong struggle. The X chair has this dynamic variable lumbar support. They call it DVL. The X chair's DVL was designed to adjust to you, and every other part of the chair can be custom adjusted to fit you. That's why the X chair is equally supportive, whether you're 5'2 and 110 or 6'4 and 250. And now with the introduction of the X basic model, there's an X chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-Chair's on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWheels and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair xchairtom.com You're listening to Tom Hartman Tim in Beaverton, Oregon watching us on Free Speech TV You're on the air with Congressman Pocan Yeah, I, well, a simple question uh, and it, I don't think it's received enough uh, attention in the media, although Fox News carried it completely Was uh, what is your reaction to Trump's rally in Green Bay? I have never seen anything more obscene than that. I mean, it's scary stuff. Is that is that what the Wisconsin uh, your your voter base is still turning to that man? He, that what Wisconsin put him in by what twenty two thousand votes in the in the general election? It's scary stuff. What he was saying. Yeah. So I'll tell you. Let me give you some assurances, Tim, about my home state. I think he's got the biggest drop off in Wisconsin of any state he won, um, and. 
a lot of the reason I believe he won Wisconsin was because of how he talked about trade, about bringing jobs back to America. Hillary Clinton, you know, I think the strongest thing she said about the Trans-Pacific Partnership was, I don't support the TPP as currently written, was hardly very aspirational, and a lot of Democrats stayed home, and he won our state narrowly by 22,000, 23,000 votes. But because of his really inept policy around trade, he doesn't really know what he means. We're now in tariff wars that are hurting our dairy farmers and hurting our soybean farmers and others in the state. So he actually is uh, very unpopular. Uh, and I, I think, you know, we always, like every state, could, have, could fill a, a stadium with his supporters. But by and large, uh, he's got the biggest drop-off in Wisconsin of any state. So I think we are definitely in a good place for Democrats in 2020 in what would be a normally bluish-purple state. Ember in Los Angeles, listening on KPFK, you're on the air with Congressman Pokin. Hi, thank you for taking my call. The policy that Nancy Pelosi and Schumer introduced, initially my first reaction was, why are they doing this? This is terrible. It's bad timing, et cetera, et cetera. But later on I thought, and I'd like to get your answer, and I'll take that off air. If not, this was actually a brilliant chess move because it took a very important big issue that everyone wants, and the Democrats were the initiators of the policy. I agree with your observation. I mean, I think... We ran on investing in infrastructure, so it's an issue that we had all of our candidates run on. That's how we took back the House majority, one of our three biggest issues, and lifting people's wages by investing in our infrastructure. And I think you know the ball now is in the president's court on how to fund it. We, you know, we have had some conversations about how we would do it, but the president has never been serious about whether it be that 80-20 split, which would have private sector firms build infrastructure, which isn't realistic, or any real revenue. So I think by having us put that out there, it's kind of like during the campaign. I think what worked well for him in places like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania was his talk about bringing jobs back to America. And then, of course, he didn't deliver on it because he doesn't actually know what he means. In this case now, we hopefully are the ones who are leading with what infrastructure should be. And if he can't deliver again because his Republicans won't uh, be there with any funding, then it's his failure as the leader of the Republican Party, essentially. So I, I do think we're in a good place. Ingrid, watching us on Free Speech TV in Myerstown, Pennsylvania. You're on the Here's air with Congressman Pocan. Hello. You're on the air. Everybody's doing a great job. Love the program. Thank you. Um, Congressman, the Medicare for All. I know you're working on that, and I know there were hearings. What I'm wondering about is, especially if they want to try to cover everything, Bernie talks about dental vision and all that, and, of course, Medicare doesn't pay the whole cost. Are we looking at what other countries do? We have a roadmap there. If we're willing to get away from this idea we know best about everything, why can't we look at what all the other countries are doing in depth and look at what they allow for the cost and go from that? Yeah, Ingrid, I think that's what happened in putting together the new Medicare for All bill, because Bernie Sanders last session put one that was different than the House version that had been out there for a decade or longer, and we modernized ours to be a little closer to Bernie's, but also to even fine-tune a little more. But it is important that people have dental and vision care and things like that. So this is a much better, more comprehensive bill by looking at what all the other countries are doing. It's just for us, we currently have a model under Medicare that works very well for people in this country. It's one of the most popular federal programs. So if we can expand upon that through the Medicare for All bill, and I think the hearing did a really great job of showing that we're going to be the best off. We will have very similar policies as other countries. It's just working within a system that people in the United States already are used to having health care delivered through. So I think the real thing that is incumbent on us is to keep educating lawmakers and having constituents 
reach out to their lawmakers about their support for this proposal, because I think then we can assure it's not a question if it becomes a reality. It's just a question of when it becomes a reality. But we do have that education process to do, which is what we're doing right now. George in Alsip, Illinois. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Tim, and thanks to both of you for all you do for pointing us in the right direction every day. Something's puzzled me for a while. We're all familiar with the Saturday Night Massacre where Nixon wanted to get rid of Archibald Cox, and he ordered the Attorney General Richardson to fire him. Richardson wouldn't, so he fired Richardson. Deputy Attorney General Ruckelshaus wouldn't fire Cox, so Nixon fired him. Then he got to Robert Bork, who was happy to go along with Nixon, and he fired Archibald Cox. Now, in this administration, we've heard that Trump wanted his White House counsel, Don McGahn, to fire the special prosecutor. Don McGahn was the counterpart of John Dean in the Nixon administration. I don't see how the White House counsel was in the line of authority to fire a a special prosecutor in the Justice Department. Is this just another example of Trump not knowing or not caring anything about the Constitution or how the government works? George, I I think what he was doing is trying to get Don McGahn to get um, uh, others to get rid of who had the ability. The president didn't want to make the call directly. He was having Don McGahn try to get it done. And when you read the Mueller report, what's interesting is the president right now's big contention is he never asked McGahn to have Mueller fired. But if you read the language, it's, it's, I'm going to paraphrase, but basically it's, you know, he has to be gone, uh, he shouldn't be there. I mean, it's everything but using the word fired. And the president, I think, knows that. But I also think the fact that they defied his order multiple times, employees of his, from violating the law, shows also they don't have an enormous amount of respect for a guy who doesn't have the competence to be in the White House. And I think that's what really stood out to me was that uh, some of these people did put country above a party or president and just ignored him, uh, which we didn't see maybe happen during the, the Nixon era. So um, I, I think the big controversy, though, right now, is, and that's why we want Don McGahn to come in, is it's very clear. The intention was the president wanted Mueller fired. However, he was trying to have McGahn, McGahn be the person to get it done through various channels. Uh, but he never used the magic words, and that seems to be Donald Trump's defense. Thomas in Rancho Palos Verdes, California, listening on KPFK. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman, thanks for taking our calls. Um, I was just wondering what your position was on the current situation in Venezuela. We've seen John Bolton go on record and say that this is, you know, the U.S. is involved in a multitude of ways and that this is specifically because of oil to some capacity. I was just wondering what your thoughts are uh, on our involvement there. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've uh, led a few letters from members of the Progressive Caucus uh, against our intervention in another country's affairs. Uh, we have, um, most recently, we're supporting David cicilini has got a bill that says no uh, intervention without a, a vote of Congress, which is, should be anyway required, but an explicit bill saying that, and we're trying to get a vote on that, because especially now with what happened yesterday, uh, we think that's important. Um, but... Uh, you know, clearly the United States shouldn't be involved in another country, whatever country that is, in any attempts of a coup or anything else that's happening. And, um, you know, it is, I'm not defending the Maduro government. I think people are having an especially hard time, especially the poor in the country, but it's not ours to decide. 
And uh, if the U.S. is going to be involved in any way, there has to be a debate and a vote in Congress. And we're really trying to get the David Cicilline bill to get a vote. And I think that's the best path we can do at this point. Brian in Grant, Michigan, listening on AM 1680. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Tom. And Congressman, thank you for coming on the show every week. I understand that uh, precious and few are the moments you Pocan share. Um, <clears throat> But my question is, what is the Progressive Caucus going to be doing to help get publicity for candidates who are not Joe Biden? It seems like it's because he's the one that the oligarchs like. Uh, all we're seeing on the news is all Biden all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, that's been, I think, since he announced especially, right? So we've seen the little peak. And I think you're going to have peaks for lots of candidates, right? I mean, Buttigieg had his moment a little while ago, and... Uh, now Biden's got it because he just announced. And I think every few weeks we're going to see different peaks happen. Uh, people go up and down. It's, it's pretty early yet from the primaries. We don't um, get involved in presidential elections per se, but we're trying to work with all the campaigns to look at progressive policy issues, whether it be Medicare for All, uh, debt-free college proposals, uh, investments in infrastructure. I mean, go on and on. We've got a list of things we're reaching out to folks. And uh, I think we just had a conversation this morning, and I believe the Congressional Progressive Caucus Center, which is a nonprofit, uh, they're talking about at their annual summit, uh, where a lot of our members will attend, as well as members of the public who are progressive with a lot of progressive groups, the presidential candidates will likely be invited. So we may have an opportunity to really highlight progressive issues with candidates that choose to come. So we'll find ways to do it like that, but we never officially endorse. Individual members may. Right now, our focus is to get all the candidates to look at progressive issues and take them up in their campaign, because that's the best way we're going to win in 2020. Bill in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, uh, referencing Trump supporters working in middle class, if billionaire money goes mostly to Republicans, you could say that the billionaires don't care about us, and how come working in middle class Trump supporters don't get that? That's a real salient point for me that drives me nuts. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you very much. Yeah, Bill, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I look at a lot of the people who voted for Donald Trump because their economic condition hasn't gotten better. It's not, you know, because of anything other than the greed that we see and, and the, the income diverse, you know, the, the consolidation on the top, a lot of the policies that have happened. People should realize Republicans are not on their side. But then when they're told that the problem really is that person with brown or black skin, and if they wind up actually believing that's the problem and not the top 1% to 3% of folks putting the squeeze on everyone else just to get richer, then we have the problems that we have and people look to someone like Donald Trump, who uh, is a demagogue and, and his message seems to resonate. We need to stand up to that and make sure people understand what the real conditions are. And Congressman, in the last 10 seconds here, what should we be looking for in the next week? You know, we're back in session a lot. I think out of the next... 13 weeks, 11 of the next 13, or maybe it's 13 of the next 15, a lot. So a lot of action is going to happen, and people should be contacting their representatives on anything they care about. Great. Thank you, Congressman, so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Appreciate Great it. talking with you. Congressman Mark thank Pocan, you. co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at repmarkpocan. You know, I broke my back back when I was uh, 19 years old skydiving and have had pain there forever. Uh, it's, it's really remarkable to me how CBD oil has uh, helped that and helps me sleep through that. Through that. Um, uh, and I'm, I've been using New Leaf Naturals CBD oil 
uh, for uh, you know a month or so, Louise and I both actually, and it's extraordinary stuff. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. It's CBD is non-toxic. It has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties, and I could tell you from personal experience. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals, NU Leaf, NU New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil in the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the USA. The only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its pure, most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-Leafnaturals.com. You save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S. When you use this code TOM, T-H-O-M, go to newleafnaturals.com, N-U-Leafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We are reading from the Mueller report. This is from page five. It's the subset of Russian contacts with the campaign. Spring 2016, campaign foreign policy advisor George Papadopoulos made early contact with Joseph Mifsud, a London-based professor who had connections to Russia and traveled to Moscow in April 2016. Immediately upon his return to London from that trip, Mifsud told Papadopoulos, that the Russian government had dirt on Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. One week later, in the first week of May 2016, Papadopoulos suggested to a representative of a foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information damaging to candidate Clinton. Throughout that period of time, and for several months thereafter, Papadopoulos worked with Mifsud and two Russian nationals to arrange a meeting between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. No meeting took place. September 2016. Russian outreach to the Trump campaign continued into the summer of 2016, as candidate Trump was becoming the presumptive Republican nominee for president. On June 9, 2016, for example, a Russian lawyer met with senior Trump campaign officials Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and campaign chairman Paul Manafort to deliver what the email proposed the meeting had described as, quote, official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary, end quote. The materials were offered to Trump Jr. as, quote, part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump, end quote. The written communications setting up the meeting showed that the campaign anticipated receiving information from Russia that could assist candidate Trump's electoral prospects, but the Russian lawyer's presentation did not provide such information. Days after the June 9 meeting, on June 14, 2016, a cybersecurity firm and the DNC announced that Russian government hackers had infiltrated the DNC and obtained access to opposition research on candidate Trump, among other documents. In July 2016, campaign foreign policy advisor Carter Page traveled in his personal capacity to Moscow and gave the keynote address at the New Economic School. Page had lived and worked in Russia between 2003 and 2007. After returning to the United States, Page became acquainted with at least two Russian intelligence officers, one of whom was later charged in 2015 with conspiracy to act as an unregistered agent of Russia. Page's July 2016 trip to Moscow and his advocacy for pro-Russian foreign policy drew media attention. The campaign then distanced itself from Page and by late September 2016 removed him from the campaign. July 2016 was also the month WikiLeaks first published released emails stolen by the GRU from the DNC. 
On July 22, 2016, WikiLeaks posted thousands of internal DNC documents revealing information about the Clinton campaign. Within days, there was public reporting that U.S. intelligence agencies had high confidence that the Russian government was behind the theft of emails and documents from the DNC. And within a week of the release, a foreign government informed the FBI about its May 2016 interaction with Papadopoulos and his statement that the Russian government could assist the Trump campaign. On July 31, 2016, based on the foreign government reporting, the FBI opened an investigation into potential coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Separately, on August 2, 2016, Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort met in New York City with his longtime business associate Konstantin Kalimnik, who the FBI assesses to have ties to Russian intelligence. Kalimnik requested the meeting to deliver in person a peace plan for Ukraine that Manafort acknowledged to the special counsel's office was a, quote, backdoor, end quote, way for Russia to control part of eastern Ukraine. Both men believe the plan would require candidate Trump's assent to succeed were he to be elected president. They also discussed the status of the Trump campaign and Manafort's strategy for winning Democratic votes in Midwestern states. Months before that meeting, Manafort had caused internal polling data to be shared with Kalimnik, and the sharing continued for some period of time after their August meeting. Fall 2016. On October 7, 2016, the media released video of candidate Trump speaking in graphic terms about women years earlier, which was considered damaging to his candidacy. Less than an hour later, WikiLeaks made its second release. Thousands of John Podesta's emails that had been stolen by the GRU in late March of 2016. The FBI and other U.S. government institutions were at the time continuing their investigation of suspected Russian government efforts to interfere in the presidential election. That same day, October 7th, the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence issued a joint public statement that, quote, the Russian government directed the recent compromises of emails from U.S. persons and institutions, including from U.S. political organizations, end quote. Those thefts and the disclosures of the hacked materials through online platforms such as WikiLeaks, the statement continued, quote, are intended to interfere with the U.S. election process, end quote. Post-2016 election. Immediately after the November 8 election, Russian government officials and prominent Russian businessmen began to make inroads into the new administration. The most senior levels of the Russian government encouraged these efforts. The Russian embassy made contact hours after the election to congratulate the president-elect and arrange a call with President Putin. It's the Mueller report. Hey, Tom Hartman here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that we have an absolutely free newsletter. You can subscribe to it over at TomHartman.com. And every day, Sue, who works on our newsletter, puts together what we call Sue's Daily Stack. It's literally a link to every story I have referenced on the air in the program. And she compiles these throughout the program and then gets the newsletter together. And it goes out an hour or two after the show is off the air. And it's just absolutely extraordinary and something I think you'll find really useful. So check it out at TomHartman.com. TV News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. Uh, the new book by Ellen Ratner on the line with us, Ellen Ratner herself. Hey, Ellen. So what's up in the world? Okay, well, the Barr Mueller hearings. This is Attorney General Barr. It was really interesting. I watched 
a fair amount of it. And Lindsey Graham, and as far as I'm concerned, these guys just prance around. They talk about bills that they're doing, what they're up to. I mean, this is a hearing. It's not supposed to be personal admiration, which is what they're doing about themselves. Anyway, they were pressed for summaries of the work. As you know, Bob Mueller wrote to Attorney General Barr and said that they wanted summaries of his work done. And then one of them said that spine was not a pejorative term, that it's just a term. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah Barr said that, too. And it's so weird because he used it in a pejorative context. You know, he said, I don't think we should be spying on people. I mean, that, that is a, that's a, a negative. That's a pejorative context. But that's so one that, of many yeah. lies he's told. Right. Well, what can we say? I mean, he is obviously there. You know, John Mitchell, John Mitchell went to prison for 19 months for obstruction of justice. And it sure looks to me like Barr has committed multiple acts of obstruction of justice and lying to Congress. And I think he needs to be watching his backside. This guy could end up in prison. Well, so I agree with you. And I mean, I'm like in shock that he's saying what he's saying, that he's doing what he's doing. But hey, I'm not Mr. Barr. Yeah. He's clearly supporting the president no matter what. Oh, yeah. James Comey has an op-ed over on The New York Times where he asks, you know, how could people get sucked into this? And then he tells his own story. He says it starts when you're sitting in a in a cabinet meeting and the president is telling lies and you can't interrupt him. You just sit there and nod your head or it's, you know, he goes in, in television and you're with him and he tells lies and you, you can't really interrupt him. And pretty soon you're complicit because you you essentially ratified his lies. And then he asks you for a little praise and you give him a little praise because you rationalize it by saying, you know, well, I'm I'm the good guy here. If I stick around, I can help out the country. And he goes through the step by step and then he gets to the very end and he says, and of course, you must be seen as being on his team. So you make further compromises. You use his language, praise his leadership, tout his commitment to values. And then the last sentence, and then you are lost. He has eaten your soul. Well, you know what's really interesting? There's a new book out it's about the president cheating, as I think it's called Cheater or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's about the president cheating at golf. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it was. I actually know somebody that played on one of his courses that said she talked to the caddy, and the caddy would go after the balls that were in the woods that the president had put in the woods by his stroke and move the ball to the green. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've heard stories like that. That's remarkable. You have it first or second hand. That's remarkable. So what else is up in the world, Ellen? Okay. There's a lot else going on in the world. The president has said that he's going to declare the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization. Turkey is giving him some grief about that, saying that they do other things other than being a terrorist organization. And so the president is in some trouble with our ally, a NATO member. Yeah, he's trying to do what al-Sisi wants in Egypt. Why does he do whatever strong men want? Because he likes being a strong man. That makes sense, yeah. Right? Yep. Now, Julian Assange, and I want to just be very honest with you, I met with Julian Assange the Saturday before the Tuesday election at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And your brother was Uh, his lawyer. Right. My brother was Julian Assange's lawyer. He was just given 50 weeks for jumping bail and winding up in the embassy, in the Ecuadorian embassy. Now, there is another hearing about whether he should be sent to the United States. And so, of course, they're very upset that he was able to get access to certain files, etc. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens 
if they even maybe waive the prison and just send him directly to the United States. I, I don't know how this is going to play out, but it's fascinating. Uh, well, we'll see how it plays out, right? Yep. Amen. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Great talking with you. And welcome back. Tony in Absecon. Okay. What's up? Well, Tom, the one issue that exposes the Republican Party for the heartless group they are, and this administration is being so heartless, is health care and health insurance. And I heard this story today about they're back in court again, and my head's about to explode. Yeah. It's costing me, me $18,000 a year to insure my family of three. And That's nuts. I, I just feel like I, I just want to know when the American public is just going to wise up and vote this party out of power. You know, people are always talking about the 2016 election, about Comey and Clinton campaign's incompetence and Russian interference and voter suppression. Well, I'm going to tell you where we need to start. With the 46% of the eligible electorate that didn't see fit to exercise their right to vote on November 8th of 2016. Yep. You know, I mean, you look at countries like Australia where voting is mandatory and, you know, they've got 99% voter participation. And they enforce it with a tax, basically. You know, if, if you don't vote, you get a $25 fine, which is levied along with your federal taxes. Um, and if you don't vote a second time, I think it goes up to a hundred bucks and then it goes up from there. And so people start paying attention to it. And then, and then once they know that they have to vote, they start paying attention to the issues and the candidates because, Hey, I got to vote. I got to make a decision. I might as well inform myself. And I realize that that's probably not practical here in the United States, but I think we could come up with some sort of an incentive structure. Uh, I mean, that's a disincentive structure. One or the other that might be constitutional in the United States, Tony. Well, we could definitely make it easier to vote. We could vote on the weekends. We could uh, vote over a whole week. Oh, and vote by mail. I mean, when, when, when Oregon went to vote by mail, we went up, we went from uh, voter participation in the 50% up to, I think, 67, 69%, something. Like that. I mean, we've got some of the highest voter participation in the entire country now in Oregon and Washington state, because in both states, there are no longer polling places. You can't go out and vote on, on the day, on voting on election day. Uh, you get a ballot in the mail. In fact, I, yesterday for the upcoming local Multnomah County elections, I got a, uh, about a, jeez, uh, it must be 40 page thick little booklet um, uh, and I know when I get the booklet that you know a few weeks down or maybe a month down the road the ballot is going to come and so that I can vote you know it's like phew, there it is and you just Louise and I sit down and we fill out our ballots we you know pull up uh, Willamette Week's website or whatever and if, it, if it's issues or candidates we're not familiar with uh, the, one of the local uh, progressive newspapers and uh, you know look through what they've said about these various people we read the 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 uh, the uh, uh, voter booklet that they send and it's uh, super easy tony and so. i heard the uh, clip today about the aca and them being back in court and as part of the story the reporter says well the uh, president says he's got this great plan that they're working on and i just my head explodes and i say are people going to fall for that again? Right. I just pray they're not. Oh, the Republicans have been, you know, that's been the Republican sales pitch for 40 years now. <laughs> just, just trust us. Just put us in power. You know, uh, we'll do, we'll take care of it. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Tony, thanks a lot for the call. In Seattle. Hey, Darren, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Love your show, man. Thank you. Um, I'm uh, curious what your thoughts are in regards to getting some engagement from some of these right-leaning, heavily right-leaning states 
for them to participate or for the Democrats to actually get in there and win some of these votes back. I mean, it's very obvious that these states that are uh, exceptionally right leaning would benefit the most from some of the liberal agenda. And it seems like we, we continue to fall on our face there. And if we could get uh, the politicians to get out and, and canvas some of these areas, it seems to me that education on what the platforms that they're running on uh, might be the key to winning some of these states back that would benefit the most from having Democrats. What are your thoughts? I absolutely agree. And when you poll people on the issues, the vast majority of Americans, I'm talking like 80% of Americans, agree with Democrats on the issues. The problem is that the media will not talk about issues. They consider it, quote, deadly boring, you know, and what they would much rather talk about is the horse race, who's winning, who's losing, uh, who's ahead, who's behind, who's humiliated, who's, who's uh, you know, rising up, um, all this kind of stuff. And, and, and broad, if they're going to talk about an issue, they want to throw it into a category that's highly inflammatory, like, is this person a socialist? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And right. as a consequence, there is no national conversation about health care outside of, you know, how it affects the election races. There is no national conversation about, you know, the safety, for example. You know, I mean, Bob Ney in, the, in his news report an hour ago was talking about how the Trump administration just issued an executive order overturning the Obama executive order that um, if you're going to drill like the, like the uh, Deepwater Horizon, you have to have a functional blowout protector and you have to have something that measures the pr pressure on the line. And this... This uh, this blowout in the Gulf cost us at least thirty six billion dollars and uh, not having to have blowout protectors and measure this pressure will save the oil companies one and a half billion dollars over a 10 year period. And uh, the Trump administration has decided that it's more important for the for the oil companies to make a one and a half billion dollar additional profit than it is to protect us from thirty six billion dollars worth of damage to our coastlines. I mean, this is the kind of insanity that's happening. But you, you know, you won't see that. I mean, literally won't see that covered in the news. And this is the sure. I think it's the biggest challenge we have right now is corporate news only issue only interested in if it bleeds, it leads. That's pretty much it. Do you think there's any would there be any benefit at, coming from uh, I lived in Idaho for uh, the better part of a decade in rural Idaho? I was one of the few liberals that lived in rural uh, Idaho as a sure. Democrat. But they, you know, they're certainly we own guns at the house. We were rural enough that, you know, if you did call the police station that uh, you'd be waiting, honestly, 45 minutes to an hour for for someone to show up. So, I mean, it was it was you know like having a fire extinguisher, if you will. It, yeah. And, and my concern, sure, there was crazies up there that wanted their semi-automatics and all that, and that seemed ridiculous. But for the Democrats to potentially say, you know, make it very clear, we're not out to get your, you know, your shotguns and your, you know, the, yeah. those sorts of things. But let's 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 put the hammer down on on these semi-automatics. Uh, I think you'd get a lot of buy-in from even some of these rural guys because it's not like everybody's illogical. It just all of a sudden they. They get wrapped up in, in the moment of the, 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 the current policies and yeah. the political rhetoric. No, I think you're on, right, you know? Darren. And then the, and, the, and the enemy of this conversation that we all need to be having, again, is the media, tragically. Thank you for the call. It's hey, great to hear from you. you. Yep, Appreciate yep. it. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it.
You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Thank you.